For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Tashoma. You're listening to Daybreak. Effective altruism. Effective altruism. It's called effective altruism. Effective altruism. Effective altruism. Effective altruism. It's a philosophy that has inspired people to donate malaria nets and raised over $22.7 million in 2021. But now it's a term often thrown around in Silicon Valley circles and by those on college campuses aspiring to one day join the fray. While effective altruism has its fair share of followers, there is a strong contingent of critics as well. You may have even first heard of it after the bankruptcy of the cryptocurrency trading platform FTX last year. Embattled cryptocurrency exchange FTX has filed for bankruptcy. FTX's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, was a vocal advocate of effective altruism. He donated to associated causes and even funded political campaigns of fellow effective altruists. And people admired him for it, until they found out he committed mass fraud. In recent months, the reputation of effective altruism has been muddied. And now, conversations surrounding those same doubts is moving on to college campuses. But before we unpack that, what does effective altruism even mean? Let's hear it from the father of effective altruism himself. I'm Peter Singer. I'm the Ira W. DeCamp Professor of Bioethics in the University Center for Human Values at Princeton University. Professor Singer is credited with originating the philosophy of effective altruism. His 2009 book, The Life You Can Save, and his organization, which shares the same name, have influenced hordes of people to change how they view the role of charity itself. In 2013, he brought the philosophy to popular culture with a TED Talk titled, the why and how of effective altruism. Here's him explaining it again a decade later. Altruism is the desire to do good for others, to leave the world a better place than it would have been if you had not lived in it, is one way of putting it. And the effective altruism movement holds that altruism ought to be one of your aims in life, to do good for the world. It doesn't expect all the people who are effective altruists to be saints. Altruism doesn't have to dominate your life, but it should be a significant part of your life. So then you have to add on to that conception of, of altruism and living altruistically in that way, the idea that it's important to use your resources, which may be the time and skills you have to work for an organization, or it may be the money that you uh, have or will have that you can donate to effective organizations. But whatever it is that you have, you ought to make it go as far as possible in terms of doing good. So doing the most good with what you've got. And to do that, you have to do some research on what are the areas where you can do most good. So uh, the effective part of altruism actually is, is telling you not to do the altruism impulsively as many people do. That's you know, still nice and generous, but it may do a tenth as much as good, or a hundredth as much good, or even in some cases a thousandth as much good as uh, doing some research and finding the best ways to do good uh, as effectively as you can. So you put those two things together and I think you've, you've got the effective altruism movement. With that, effective altruism has three main goals guiding its research into issues followers believe worth pursuing. One, is the issue large in scale? Two, is it highly tractable? Or can we help solve the issue by simply putting more resources towards it? And three, is it neglected? Those three questions are at the center of the schism forming in the effective altruism space. 
While the effective altruism of Professor Singer's imagination started off with tackling global poverty and animal advocacy, the focus of many EA followers today is a far cry from those tangible problems. That's because two conjoined issues now dominate, long-termism and AI alignment. Before the start of the 2023-24 school year, the ex-president of Columbia's Effective Altruism, Dave Banerjee, published an article to an EA forum called University EA Group's Need Fixing. He posted it shortly after stepping down from his position in an attempt to explain his dissolution with EA. We tried to reach him for comment, but he didn't respond. So to break down what he wrote for him, his disillusion mainly stemmed from an overwhelming fixation on AI and the coercion he felt to endorse the issue. Now, why AI has taken over effective altruism is because of the growing dominance of one framework, long-termism. Long-termists believe that our primary moral concern should be positively influencing the long-term future. So under that concept, the threat of AI non-alignment, or that AI may not act in the best interests of humans, has become a de facto cause. I think if there is a pervasive emphasis on long-termism as the best or maybe even the only way to go for an effective altruist. I think that's unfortunate. Of the various existential risks we face, um, AI non-alignment may be one of them, but it's only one of them. Singer doesn't think that AI alignment fits into those three requirements that make an issue worth pursuing. Well, firstly, AI alignment could no longer be said to be neglected, um, certainly not within the EA movement. And secondly, I wonder how tractable it is, at least at this particular time. Partly because it may be some decades and it may be that AI will develop a lot more so that we don't, you know, so that what we're thinking about now will look rather primitive in 20 years time. Okay, so this is a well-known sore point in the EA community. After all, artificial intelligence is all the rage in tech today. Princeton by no means has escaped this captivation. Five Princetonians were named to Time's 100 Most Influential People in AI list. We realized that if we spent too long on AI, we were going to attract a very specific demographic that, you know, in the past few years has kind of dominated EA. My name is Catherine Wren, and I'm one of the organizers for Princeton's Effective Altruism Club. Catherine is the undergraduate leader of Princeton Effective Altruism. She's observed many of the same patterns in the EA community as Columbia's ex-president. AI alignment is just something that catches a lot of people's eyes because it's kind of like a sexy topic. Like, it's fun. And especially with the type of people that EA tends to attract, and I mean like software developers and like Silicon Valley people, people who are pretty like familiar with technology and want to work with it and then try to work that into EA and doing good and then you end up with a lot like so many people who are into AI alignment especially if you go to like EAG conferences uh EA global conferences in like San Francisco everyone there is AI alignment and like if you dare to like dissent and be like well what about the other cause areas uh some people can get like pretty short with you or like you know not really want to talk with you because like they are just so passionate about it. So what we did is we kind of have a spin-off of Princeton EA called Princeton AI Alignment specifically for those people and then so that EA can stay a kind of a cause neutral area where all causes are like welcome to be talked about. So at this point you're probably wondering what a college effective altruism club does. So most of what we do on campus involves kind of like 
hands-off career counseling. We don't directly give career advice, but we introduce students to career paths that might uh, pique their interest. And then if it does interest them, then they can do their own research into it. So we have an intro fellowship that we run every single semester. It's, I think, about like a 16-week program. So these are pretty small groups. We talk about new topics every single week, and they're basically like the core causes of effective altruism, the ones that people tend to find the most interesting, and the ones that we think that are very worthwhile, like biosecurity, nuclear security. We have one week dedicated to AI, and we have animal advocacy, which is <laughs> one of Peter Singer's favorite. It's just about thinking critically about your career because your career is just such a valuable resource in doing good. If we can, you know, think critically about how we use our resources and that includes like donating your like a little part of your salary maybe or like just spending a little bit of time or like even your career, then, you know, you can help a lot of people and that's pretty good. But that point of using your career or donating your earnings to do good is where another point of criticism towards effective altruism lies. Is EA only for elites? Oh, yeah. Especially back when we were championing earn to give, which is a philosophy that, like, thank God that I think we've moved a little bit away from, is like we encouraged people to go into really high earning jobs and then donate all their money. And then I think like in the past years, we realized like that isn't like a great philosophy. You could go into an EA career and you'll live quite comfortably like people who work at EA organizations, for example, obviously like the Center of Effective Altruism, but even like the little startups that EA has like gajillions of, that's not a real number. Um, but like, for example, I'm considering working at Giving What We Can because, you know, they're looking for computer scientists to help put together their website, make it more interactive for users. And so, you can get a job there and, you know, use your career to help a lot of people and you'll be pretty well compensated. You'll be living a comfortable life. I hope that you can have uh, elite people who do work at the grassroots, certainly for a time, to, again, uh, get the experience of understanding what it's like at the grassroots. But I think it's inevitable that people who have particular talents uh, are going to be the ones who are most effective in, in doing good and they'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll look for that, they'll look for the best ways of doing good and conversely the effective altruism movement will perhaps focus um, more on them because it will see that there's a greater gain in terms of having people with, with talents to become effective altruists. And someone else lacking those talents um, obviously is also very welcome as an effective altruist but they may not be able to do as much good for others and we may we may regret that fact we may regret that people are not more equal in their abilities and their talents but um, unfortunately that's just the way the world is so effective altruism proposes a solution to a classic princeton senior catch-22 do i pursue a career where i make a lot of money or do i commit myself to something where i can better the world and the EA answer seems simple. Make a lot of money, but make sure you eventually give it away. Though, Professor Singer cautions that it might not be as easy as it looks. You know, I've certainly had some students, including Princeton students, who I think have done well by um, getting high paying jobs and donating a substantial part of their income to effective charities. 
But it does take a particular kind of person to do that. Firstly, you have to be the kind of person who has an interest in what it is that you're working on, you know, whether it's in the finance sector or somewhere else that's high income. And secondly, you would have to be the kind of person who can resist the temptation to live the lifestyle of the ones you're working alongside of who are earning the same amount of money as you, the same large amount of money as you, but are keeping it all to spend on themselves. And, you know, you could get sucked into that. So I think you have to really think about yourself and say, am I the kind of person who can actually do this and do it long enough to be worthwhile and to continue to resist temptations and have a lot to give away? And if you're not confident about that, then it's probably better to go into the non-profit sector where you'll be surrounded by other people who are more idealistic, more value the purpose of what the organization's doing and uh, you know, don't go for a kind of uh, high-income lifestyle. That's all for Daybreak today. Today's episode was written and sound engineered by me and produced under the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, class of 22. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Tashoma. Have a wonderful day.